Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Once you all invited me to Belgium, um, I made a inner decision that um, I did not want to die with certain anger in my heart. And I decided at my own expense that we were going to help people in Germany and Poland to get recovery. And I got immediate freedom from any anger I had. Immediate. I can't tell you the freedom I got from saying no matter what, God's will for me is not to be angry, but to bring recovery to every hurting sexaholic. This program just changes your life. My life today is not what it was. And yet I'm the same person. I used to only want to talk about sex and my disease. And that's all I do now, talk about sex. (laughs) I used to only want to seduce anybody I could for sex. And now I seduce everyone for recovery. (laughs) Same stuff. Same personality. Different directions. Because God lets me have my personality, but it's up to me where it goes. And that's why the 12 and 12 talks about that these are natural instincts gone haywire. Do you all know the word haywire? No. No. Someone, can you translate the word natural instinct gone wild? Yes. How would you say that? Natural instincts gone wild. Yes. Eating is a natural needed instinct. But eating everything you see all the time means it's gone wild. That survivor instinct is now being used for an unnatural purpose. Drinking, eating. um, My being willing to be aggressive and yell and bring people in. Okay, I could do that for that or I could do it for something destructive. But it's the same instinct. It's just where we turn that instinct. And that brings us to 
sex in marriage. Um, Roy has never said we are allergic to sex. He never says we're powerless over sex. He uses the terms over and over. Lust and sexually acting out. And usually he'll use both terms in the book. Very rare. You just see only sex, he'll say, powerless over lust and sexually acting out. Now, we're allergic to lust. Uh, Believe it or not, most people are not allergic to sex. Uh, You know, the proof's in the pudding, as I said, the past few days, uh, the past day. Um, Otherwise, we'd be in trouble. This people would not still be sober, and yet, I don't know if many of you know, but I know a lot of people who have babies in this program, which means they're having sex in this program. What happens is no one ever talks about it. One aspect is that sexaholics know very little about sex. They know a whole lot about lust. They know all about stuff they've seen on pornography. They bring to their marriage beds expectations of things that they've seen in pornography that are make-believe. Pornography is make-believe. A lot of those women are having their throats numbed to do oral sex. Yeah, it could be done. But we don't even like when a doctor puts a tongue depressor in your throat to look down your throat. It's not comfortable. I've done it. It's not comfortable. Yet, in our mind's eye, that's all women should want to do. Now, I can't talk for women. I'm talking as a man, but let me tell you that many women are not necessarily interested in oral sex. These are all fantasies. The other day, I'm not going to be explicit with some of this. Uh, there's a time I'm comfortable being explicit. Sometimes I'm not. Um, because it has to do with the other person. I, I'm pretty comfortable being explicit about me. But I've had experiences in the program where guys who are really rough sex addicts, you know, done lots of stuff, And they'll come in and complain that their wives aren't doing this and don't like that, and they're not in this is happening. And I'll say, oh, are you doing such and such to a special part of their body? And they look at me not knowing what I'm talking about. And I'll say to them, well, I'm not comfortable drawing a diagram for you. I just don't feel comfortable doing that for my own program. But I'd go home and ask your wife about the area that's right above her urethra where she urinates from. He said, oh, what are you talking about? Well, a few days later, he comes back kind of real pleased and all. And I said, oh, did you talk to your wife? He said, yes, she knew exactly what you were talking about. And she showed me. I I said, have your wife show you. He had no idea about that part of his wife's body. Because so much of sex addicts have shame that 
they break through to have their wives maybe put on this and dress that way or do this to them. But when it comes to everyday sex, they don't know a whole lot about it. Now, it might kind of surprise you, but that's just what it is. They also don't know what real foreplay is. My wife reminds me all the time. One day, I was at the supermarket, and I called her to see if she wanted something for me to buy. And that day, she said, Harvey, that's the best foreplay I think I've ever had. I said, I knew we hadn't had sex that day or so. So what are you talking about? She said, boy, was that wonderful that you called me from the store <laughs> to ask me if I should, if I needed anything because you were there. <laughs> you know, my wife always reminds me I could be replaced with a finger. She reminds me that my preoccupation with my penis is totally inappropriate. If I gave as much thinking to how big my pinky is, is it straight enough? Does it work well enough? And gave and measure it time and again, like I did when I was a teenager, not my pinky, something else. They'd lock me up in a mental hospital. The amount of time and energy the guys in this program, and for the women, you'll have to teach me a bit about it, but I, uh, you know. But for the guys, the preoccupation with our penises is unbelievable. Unbelievable. It's very hard for us to get a God of our understanding because we had this God between our legs. <coughs> like a separate person. It's a distortion of reality. It's only something you urinate from. And no guy, and if the women are uncomfortable, you know, I guess you could leave, but I don't know how to do this one without doing it. And um, and maybe if there's some point in this that the women could share a little about their preoccupations. Because I, so often you hear about women being preoccupied, are they too wide or too big, or their breasts this or that or whatever. You know, women will have their things too. But men in the program are so preoccupied about this and about their performance. Did it go right? Did it do right? In my life, I realized that every time afterwards, I would start thinking, did I do it right? Did my wife enjoy it enough? At one point I realized that was my withdrawal, dissecting out the sex act. It's a form of withdrawal. And it's not permitted in my life today. I cannot analyze my performance. Just doesn't work well. And how do I get around that? I hit my knees before I'm intimate with my wife. And I do the third step prayer. And I give the act to God. So that I have this fear. I've had sex before I came in the program with just my wife. Almost 8,000 times, if not more. Just my wife. And I was convinced every time I had sex with her, I'd never be able to do it again. It wouldn't work. Every time. I was frightened. 
that this is the last time, it's not going to work the next time. This preoccupation. And so what would I do to make sure it worked? I'd use a sexual fantasy. And then my wife wasn't really there. It was merely (coughs) masturbation using her private parts. So I had to be willing because fantasy is not permitted (coughs) even in my marital bed. Every now and then, something in me says, oh, I'm like this great lover or something. I don't know. I get this crazy thought. But uh, I can't have a motion picture and expect to be there. And Jess taught me some of this. I'm not even sure Jess was having sex with his wife anymore. But he would teach his sponsees and me. I mean, you all, I can't tell you what you miss by having, by not being able to be explicit with each other. Just taught me what to do. He would tell me, put your hand behind your wife's back and have God's light go through your back into your chest, into her chest out her back into your hand and come back again into your back and have his light continue. And this is so much of what my life's like today. Where my genitalia is really not the main issue. But by the way, I am still an animal. My AA sponsor would say, Harvey, you make such a big deal out of this. Rabbits do it. Rabbits do it. What are you making such a big fuss over this? It doesn't take a lot up here to do it. One of my sponsees was divorced. He got in recovery, and his wife couldn't handle him in recovery. The dance changed. The game changed. She divorced him. And years later, walked with him into marriage. And he got married. And he calls us up. It's his wedding right before the evening. They're going home. And a group of us were together when he happened to call. And we teased him as he was convinced it wouldn't work. He couldn't do it. This would have happened. And we joked with him, told him. It's just like bicycle riding. You never forget how to do it. <laughs> and we keep it light. And, you know, he walked through it fine. We're there to support him. <clears throat> Not to eroticize it. But we just teased him and laughed. And one guy said, oh, don't worry about it. It's not going to last more than a minute or two anyway. And then the other guy says, if you're lucky, it won't last a minute or two. Many of us in the program have a lot of premature ejaculation. Many of us um, have dysfunctions. Have you ever heard this topic before? Did any of you ever talk in your groups about sex in marriage? No. <laughs> very private. Very what? Very private. <laughs> very embarrassed, very private. Um, we have breakout meetings for those who are having concerns about our dysfunctions. You know, many guys are anorexic because they masturbated so much and that intercourse is just a real frightening thing for them. 
But we help each other bring God in. And part of bringing God in is this is an animal act, and you can't pretty it up too much sometimes. It just is. Um, I personally, since I was a sexually abusive husband, I had a terrible time with this whole thing. I was so grateful that Jess could work with me. We'll talk about the celibacy when Nancy and I share tonight and what we do and where we are today with all this. And, um, but I was quite frightened that this would open up my whole, we call it America, the ball of wax, it would open everything up again. Yes, I was a sexually abusive husband. And that's not what has happened. Just is not what has happened. Because I never want to go back there again. Mike C. in his talks, and if you haven't heard Mike C. talk, I mean, just spectacular guy with, uh, he now probably has uh, uh, 20 A's, almost 29 years. This He's, I think, a few months behind me. And um, he's, he was a young guy when he came in, and he got married. And he has a deal with his wife, and he shared it. In bed, when they're intimate, if he has a sexual fantasy, he says to her, I have a sexual fantasy, and I need to stop right now. Sexual fantasies cannot be done successfully, whether you're with your wife or without your wife, because, or single, because we're allergic to lust, and fantasy is lust. I'm saying it over and over and over. So in my life, because I was so frightened of myself, I developed a system where the special moment that happens to guys, I make a very holy prayer and I blunt the sensation. I do it, and it happens. I blunt the sensation. Keep it down. By making a special prayer, this very holy prayer, it takes my mind off the sensation, the physiology. It blocks the feeling. And you get this very wonderful experience because I no longer get the immediate down where I want to turn around and go to sleep. What you see in the movies, I need a cigarette right now. This has been... So my entire time, which is not a very long period of time, my wife and I joke all the time because... We've worked it out. We've been married 51 years. We know what we like. We know what to do. And we do it, and it does not take very long. And I'm there for her afterwards. Because I have not gotten that great peak and then the down. I'm like this. Do you know how uncomfortable this is? <laughs> Do you know how frightening but awesome this is? <laughs> that God has picked me, this low light, to try to help people like me to have as close as we could get to a normal life. Whether we're married or single, you know, normal life meaning, we're not acting out. We're not acting in. And you will do the same thing. Each of you are vessels. We've been picked. 
we've been chosen. You gotta just face it. You gotta face what God's will for us is. This is it. To carry the message to other hurting people. And it's an awesome journey. And my wife and I, um, and we'll talk about frequency later, um, but my wife and I have worked out a system, and I want to tell you that the day after, we're much more playful. We're more like kids. There's something about the sex act between two people, between a husband and wife. That's special. Now, why is it special? And I'm going to step on a lot of toes, Miss. We don't talk religion. <coughs> but I don't give a crap. Right. <laughs> Miss, who are we kidding? We all probably have certain basic beliefs. Now, whether this is a myth or not, whether it's true, it's very important for me to know that there once was a being who is split in half down his body. And on one side was one man, other side became a woman. And it was his opposite and her opposite. And when they get together, this first creation becomes completed again. And when they know each other, they become in the image of God that they can create life. So the sexual act is one of the most spectacular inventions God, to me, can ever do. And after we're together, my wife and I, I'm off and I laugh and say, how the heck did he think this one up? Man, this is a cool thing God thought up. This without it, we can't have a world. This very special thing that got so distorted in my life, the things I put my wife through, the demands, the sexual abuse I did to this woman, for this beautiful thing that was created that got so distorted. So yes, you can be Married and have sex and stay sober. Then again, you could be married and have sex and not stay sober. Then again, you could be single and stay sober. And then again, you could be single and not be having sex and lose your sobriety by having sex. I don't think I want to talk much more about this. I think I, I've said what, what I want to say. We could ask questions. We could talk about something else. But this is such a holy thing. <clears throat> yeah. And we as a fellowship, what happens to us? We live this delusion and lie are very similar. A lie, a delusion is a lie. It's denial. And we're in a program where, what, half to three quarters of the people are actively having sex and we never talk about it? See, it's no different than what I've been saying about other things. 
It's not explicitness for explicitness sake. Explicitness has nothing to do with it. This after a while, things are said and you don't even, it doesn't even come up. Explicitness about my character. If you can't be explicit about the reason you're in the program, how the heck are you going to be explicit about your character defects? How in the world do you change if you live such secrecy? I don't know. I, I wish you guys luck and gals. But I'm not going to live that way. I am not going to live this double life and pretend I'm not having sex by never talking about it. And you all could keep doing it if you want. I certainly won't know. And then again, I'm not going to overdo the subject, because this is kind of how I want to end this. My God, if it takes five, ten minutes, a week, or two weeks, or however you're doing it, it's such an infinitesimal amount of time. Or if you're one of these marathon runners, sexually, and you got to take an hour, hour and a half of me, I wish you well. But, you know, it's an infinitesimal amount of time. What are we so afraid of? Talking about it. It's such an insignificant part of our life, and yet we make it so significant by making it... Oh, don't talk about it. Oh, God. Oh, my goodness. We give it such power. It's just an act that takes so few minutes. And I think these are things you start inventorying yourself about. What is this about? What are we afraid of? What's so concerning about it? Roy was so open in his sharing. He, I'd talk to him on phone or I'd call him or something would happen. He needed to talk to me about something. He would share explicitly anything that was happening to him. I'll never forget a, a great connection I got with him one day. He, he was sharing about this bird, his pet bird, and it was eating out of his hand, and he was getting a reaction to it. He understood so much of this. He understood so much that I think he thought we understood it. He knew what lust was. That's why there's so little written about it in the book. I think he knew it just like he knew what was marriage. He knew it. He assumed we knew it. I mean, he was inspired. But I think because he was so inspired, he assumed we were at his level of understanding. And then things never got talked about. I mean, right in his writings, again, I bring up, he talks about periods of abstinence, but he always says periods of abstinence. He doesn't say my abstinence. And he has, in recovery, continues. You know, he talks about he was sober two and a half years, and he was still preoccupied with sex with his wife. He tells us all this. It's all there. And it, 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 it's okay. We could talk a little about this. We don't have to talk too much about it. And then we could move on, which I'm going to do right now by asking Nicholas. He had his hand up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, a couple of thoughts. First of all, I'm just reflecting that everyone in this room is here because of an act of sexual intercourse between a man and a woman. Uh, 
and uh, we are, owe our existence to. Mm, I understand. Oh. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, the gift, you're saying. Yes. Yeah. And that, um, I'm very, very grateful to you because you've gone into an area which I've never heard anyone that day go into before. And yet, as a sponsor, it often comes up about you know, what, what I've, I've been. I've been unmarried during the time I've been in the program, so I, I cannot speak uh, at all about the experience of sex, sober sex within, within marriage. But I do know, in the seven years that I was married, that on one occasion, once, I experienced lust-free sex. Mm-hmm. So I can, I know it's possible, and I, you know, I can, I can talk with joy about that experience and share that, and say it is possible. Uh, most of the time in my marriage, what I was doing, I was actually lying with my body. I was with my body. I was saying, "I'm giving you all of me," but actually, what I was doing was I was taking. Right. And uh, if I wasn't doing that, I was enabling an experience for my wife, which must put me directly into the uh, into the ethanol bowl, and it's basically. Making it good for her, mm-hmm. reading manuals about how to mm-hmm. make it good for her. Mm-hmm. What I had is just the one experience, though, which I think is what God gives us the opportunity to, 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 to give of oneself. And I love what you said about this thing being a thing of the heart. You know, somehow, the, if the energy doesn't get up above the, you know, this chakra to this one, then there's something not happening. You know, uh, um, if, if it's if it's if, if I'm starting with love, then the whole of the body can become involved, including my sexual organs. But if I um if I if it's not coming from my heart, if that's not the primary seat and focus of all this thing, then uh, and if it's not an act of giving, then uh, then I'm I'm in in the, in the wrong kind of place. And to talk about that this is this is a, 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 an act which is for for babies and for zombies. You know, it's for these two things, and uh, and it's sacred. It is sacred. I'm actually convinced of that. And that's the, you know, I believe as sexaholics we have this capacity for God. The capacity for sacred. And so, we're either going to be misusing it, or we're going to use it rightly. And it's, you know, I'm on a journey to learn how to use it rightly. You know, what a wonderful, what a wonderful gift. Sexuality is a beautiful thing. You know, we are not anti-marriage. We are we are pro-marriage. We're pro-children. We're pro-life. We're pro the sanctity sanctity of this of this thing. And I just I, I'm just grateful to you for giving me the opportunity to to say that in a meeting, which I've never said before. Thank you. Thank you. my wife and uh, for one moment it's coming picture image from porn movies or whatever somebody <coughs> just saw or I remind from some some girlfriend ex-girlfriend yeah so I feel I don't feel well with, with, with this it's so hard when I use this term it's not acceptable in my mind. I wish I could tell you what that, how I do that. But first of all, it's that I am willing to stop it if it continues. Every now and then I'll get a flash. If it continues, I will go to any length because my program based on fantasy on the blockage of fantasy so even if intercourse would produce it then I'd have to stop doing intercourse I cannot successfully have sexual fantasies period I'm convinced of that I'm allergic to it therefore my addict knows if it doesn't leave me alone, I'll, I'll become abstinent if I have to. It 
leaves me alone. I talk to it. And I'll also say immediately, God, whatever it is I'm looking for in that, may I find in you. I'll say, Harvey, you're here with your wife right now. I have a whole lot of things. But over the years, it stops being much of a hassle. Especially if you don't go into fear. If it's not working well, stop doing it. Stop for a while. Go back to it. Usually works. Most men, as they get older, you lose the quality of your erection. You still get erections, but it's not quite like it. So I take Viagra. How was I able to do it? Because a sponsor of mine years before did it, and I saw it worked on him, and he was still sober. My wife and I will talk about that. I'm 73 years old. I'm glad it still works. But I need blood pressure stuff, a little Viagra. But because I take a little Viagra, it doesn't mean, well, if that worked, then if I double the dose, that's my addiction. That's my addiction. So, what I'm saying is, until you start accepting that this is not permissible for you, not that it's a sin or bad, it's not permissible, you will figure out ways to not have sexual fantasies while you're with your wife. You will figure out which tool works best for you. Mike C's tool is he has an agreement with his wife. See, the disease does not want me not to have sex with my wife. He really does want it. So it knows I'll stop doing it. If it gives me trouble up here, so it will leave me alone. I can't tell you what a little devil that sexual addiction is. Not a devil, devil, but cunning, baffling, and powerful. We have a question back there. I just wanted to share my experience. Um, Before I came into fellowship, I was about six years. And during those six years, I must have had sex with my wife for six times, max. And I couldn't actually touch her without actually thinking about anybody else. So like um, uh, he just mentioned about the pictures, I don't want to cross that. But uh, pictures and images and voices and and a noise in my head from the past, euphoric recall, all, all that was going in my head. And only then I could get myself to have an erection and then actually, you know, have sex with her. When I came into the fellowship, uh, I knew, I mean, this is one area which is going to be very difficult. And, uh, I mean, I do exactly as you mentioned, I do uh, uh, I do a serenity prayer before I actually uh, uh, make love to my wife. And one of the things is I let her initiate it. Mm-hmm. Second is we communicate, we talk. Uh, the foreplay that you mentioned, I mean, there's a lot of talking, there's a lot of touching, and there's a lot of feeling good about each other. Before... I actually go on, but you know, to, to have sex. Um, and uh, finally, one thing that has worked for me is try try to coming into the fellowship. I always used to switch off the light uh, and be in the dark so I can imagine things. Mm-hmm. But I don't do that anymore. I I make sure that the light light is switched on and we both can see each other uh, so that there is no room for closing my eyes and thinking that I'm some other place than than I am. Uh, yes, sir. Good. And that's an excellent point. It's terrific tool. My tool is I have to shut the light off. It took me a lot of years. This I'll notice myself. It's not good for me to notice my own stimulation. Not good for me visually to see me. And so we do it with the light off for the most part. Everybody finds their comfort. There's the programs about comfort, not about which way is right or wrong. His comfort is going to be his way. My comfort's going to be my way. It's just that easy. 
Um, by the way, my secret I, I have to be careful about is that we're on the road, we're going to be staying with people, we're not going to be having sex, and just found out we're going to have a motel tonight. So my mind starts saying, gee, maybe you could have sex. It's been quite a while. I am a sex addict. That's what my brain does first. But now I can observe me. It still happens, but I could observe me and say, there you go again, heart. And then just let it go. Yes. Um, I'm not quite sure if this is an appropriate question, but uh, so if you, if you consider it inappropriate, you don't have to answer. But then uh, let's say that you uh, are asked by your wife to have a relationship intercourse, uh, uh, and she wants in a healthy way, and you have the fantasies. And uh, so, actually, um, my question is, uh, you could give yourself and say, okay, I agree, I give myself to you, and if he, she has pleasure, or uh, in the middle of the, of, of the uh, relation, would you stop them if you have the fantasies? Even if, if your wife or, uh, uh, takes a healthy pleasure in, in the uh, relationship. I cannot have a fantasy successfully. So, whatever it takes. But whatever it takes. Wife or no wife, job or no job. My recovery has to come first. By that approach, a lot of these scenarios don't come up. I can't describe it. It really doesn't these projected concerns don't really come up very much. And um, the the other thing, again, and maybe we'll talk about this this, uh, hopefully this evening, but Nancy and I have had to talk about this a whole lot. I had this great deal of difficulty not hearing. I'd ask her what she liked, and she'd tell me, and I'd do something different. (laughs) That's not what pornography or what you're taught to get the woman off. I couldn't hear her. took me only about 26 years and 27 years in sobriety to hear her. We have the best time. I do exactly what she has told me she likes. The quickness of it. You know, by the way, some of you who are marathoners and think that's just what you have to do to be a real big man. My wife says, how would you like this all the time? What you think is always, every time, so pleasurable. Women get older. Their vagina starts getting um, rough. They end up needing hormones. Their vagina does not necessarily always react. And you think doing that over and over is necessarily what they want every time. So many preoccupations. And then they get embarrassed thinking that that's what you want, so they can't tell you that's not what quite they want. And, you know, again, I have to tell you how many guys in this program put their wives down because they think their wives aren't giving them the right sex because the wives won't give them oral sex. And don't knock it. It's not necessarily comfortable. I've had all kinds of sex. A lot of this stuff we're told about. And, you know, these pornographies from the years I watched them, they substitute people in. You get the idea it's the same guy doing this for an hour or two. 
Pornography is not real. It's created, it's produced, it's mass, it's media. And so much of our lives have been based on things that are not real, either from the movies or from there. You know, so many movies, they're always in the next morning hugging and kissing. Nobody has bad breath in a movie. <laughs> they're always kissing each other the next morning. My God, I can't hardly, my wife doesn't even let me near me until I brush my teeth. <laughs> We got to get back, hopefully, to reality because we're psychotic. We live in delusion. We live in hallucination. And one day at a time, it's possible. Yeah, who has some questions? And then, what time do we end? Um, Look. I have a, um, yeah, you're hitting a, a, an important thing. I really think that pornography is reality. That, I mean, you say it's a setup and all this. Yeah, I really think that these people can do that and, uh, and that I'm abnormal because I, I can't do anything of this. So, uh, yeah, you're hitting From it. years ago, I don't know if they, they still have it. Have you ever seen the little tube that sometimes you see? I'm so old that pornography was, they have this little tube where something squirted out so it looks like he's, he's having sperm come out. It's a little tube, plastic tube. It's all set up. These people make big bucks. I hope I'm not doing, uh, do, oh, what's the word? Disappointing you all. <laughs> You mean the Wizard of Oz? There really wasn't Dorothy. We want our money. Back. Yeah. We... And you're responding. Men and the women are supposed to groan and moan and make all these sounds. We had a deaf, um, a blind guy in our program for years, totally blind. And man, was he into pornography from the sounds. How many wives can scream and yell, you're wonderful, you're, oh, no, no, no. The, the kids are in the next room sleeping. Why are they going to wake them up? <laughs> All non-real. And then the guys are expected to be able to do it for more than a few minutes. You're lucky if it's a few moments. Now, there are some guys who can do it in a long, long period. But some of them, they don't tell you, they can't have ejaculations. Their dysfunction, a lot of these guys can't have an ejaculation. And they just go, that's, they have the other extreme of the premature ejaculations. But boy, in our meetings, the guys who get it out and everyone laughs, it's our big joke, they say, go around feeling so inadequate because it doesn't last as long as they think it should last. <clears throat> and then, instead of saying, okay, there are other ways to help my wife finish off, they're so beating themselves up that then they ignore their wives. God, this is... Are you recording this one? <laughs> I, now, Shakar reminded me that I lied. I said, you know, I don't think I ever did it before the last one. And and then I, I prefaced by saying, I don't think this, I really didn't remember. But apparently four years ago, or three years ago in Israel, I did do something like that, but I didn't rem remember. But um, to my knowledge, I have not given this talk like this ever before. But again, I lied, so you may, I might have done it last week, but I don't remember. <laughs> yes, and then, 
We're going to let the people have an ask for a step. Well, you, you said uh, in the middle of your talk that you've had a special prayer you've got of joining the course which enables you to stay with your wife afterwards. Were you willing to share what that prayer is? Yes, but it's a prayer I think you're not really supposed to say at that time in my own religion. It's so holy. But you all know it because for those who are Christian, it's what Jesus said, but in our prayer it's what's on our doorpost. And uh, and you shall love the Lord your God with all, but it's the peace before that. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one, the Lord is God. It's a very, very holy prayer. And I, I say it in the mother tongue of the prayer. As it's happening, and I it helps me blunt. Again, Blunt, flatten the sensation. Sometimes there's different degrees of sensation, but I did it for so many years that even if I forget to do it, it's that's how it is now. My body has changed. My body has changed over the years. Our circuits are always the same. But we build new circuits. The old ones never get erased. But we build new ones. And you do this stuff over and over. This is a program of repetition. My sponsor taught me, Harvey, how did you do the multiplication table? Over two times two is four. Two times three is six. Over and over, year after year. By the time I got to the eighth table, I did not repeat it as much. And to this day, I don't know my eighth table very well. i got to figure it out backwards sometimes. Seven, I'm okay, but that eighth table, wow. But you learn it through repetition. We say it over and over Every time I say it out loud, I hear it again. See, this is really a program of not brainwashing. We're not a cult. We don't have rich leaders. We don't have, you know, cult status. But we, I do self-brainwashing. This, I say it over and over. Then some of it you pick up, my sponsees pick up, they then start saying it at meetings. I then hear it again, over and over, and new circuits start coming in. And they become automatic. I no longer have to say, say that prayer. No matter what, if I notice anybody, I'm saying, God, whatever it is I'm looking for in him, may I find in you. You won't even see me saying it. I say it so quickly and so fast that it's automatic now. And this is what, what we do for any of this recovery. And it's done this way in AA also, by the way. It's a 12-step approach. What we're doing here is very interesting. There are two aspects to recovery, and it's not too dissimilar to biblical things. One is the written law, (laughs) the written tradition. That's our big books. The other is the oral tradition. What we're doing today is the oral tradition. This gets passed from one person to another. My sponsor would say, he got it from his sponsor. And his sponsor got it from his sponsor. And his sponsor got it from his sponsor. And his sponsor got it from Bill W. And Bill W. got it from God. This is what we're doing today. You will take what you want. You will leave the rest. You will repeat it. Then the oral tradition continues. And somehow, I sit at meetings now. And I hear what my sponsor taught me, my sponsees and their sponsees and their sponsees are saying things my sponsor said. 
There's, I said it, someone said it, blah, 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 and then I hear it, and I had forgotten it. This, this is a forgetting disease. We forget it. And people will say things, and then say, I've said it, and I don't even remember it. I needed to be reminded about it. Awesome stuff, isn't it? Yes. And then let's end it this way. I think we're getting pretty close. Yeah. How did you know that you love a woman? That's true. Like, you, right. You say, how did you say, you know, you didn't know that they loved a woman. Or yeah. Not, never knew what it was nice to love yeah. someone. Right. So how, how do we know we love a woman? We get sober and it's uh, down the list. How do you know? That? What difference does it make? What, what difference does it make? If you use, I love the woman, if you're treating her with loving kindness, if you're compassionate, if you're, if you're complimenting her, if you're telling her she's important in your life because she probably is, you wouldn't still be married to her, you're showing her love. I'm a love cripple. I wouldn't know love if I stepped over fell over it. <laughs> I'm a love cripple. Every now and then, I feel it. I take a bullet for my wife. I take a bullet for my children. But man, when they're in my house and my grandkids, all I want to do is go in and use my computer. I'm a love cripple. I have to act as if. And every now and then, I feel it. It's so lovely when I feel it. But I'm I'm walled off. I'm numbed off. That's who I am. And every now and then, Nicholas says it beautifully, those moments you get those glimpses. You get a glimpse, you know you're capable of it. But I'm sick. And I love my wife. But I'm finding it, it's 51 years. I'm starting to identify. Oh, is that what love feels like? <laughs> wow. So we don't worry about it. The first thing is I've had to learn about receiving love. And that I learned from you all. And then I started giving love through my action. Then I started being able to comprehend because of you all, how God could love me, and I thank him every day for letting me love him. You know, we get so preoccupied with emphasizing God's love for us. Man, that's so one way. Why aren't we preoccupied about working on our love for God? of cherishing him. The first thing in the morning I wake up, usually say, I love you, God. Throughout the night, I'm telling him, I love him. Our emphasis is always, as Nicholas was saying, I take, give me, give me, give me more, God. Give me this, give me that. Be my sugar daddy. Be my Santa Claus. (laughs) What about us letting him know we love him? How do I love my God today? You know, I I travel across the the ocean when I'm frightened of flying. You know, I go to areas of the country that I'm not comfortable necessarily going to. I talk to people on the phone over and over. That's my love for God, that he would have loved me this much to let me get this sobriety. And how do I give it, show him my appreciation, I pass it on. And it's interesting, that prayer we would say, we shall love the Lord your God. In your own culture, the majority of you, what an important prayer. We're so preoccupied about God loving us. Oh, look what he did. He didn't give me this. He didn't get... I'm angry at God. How many calls do you get a week? I'll tell you. I don't even listen anymore. 
I say, cut that shit out. I'm not interested in you being angry at God. That's your problem. Did you do your gratitude list today? If you do your gratitude list, you're not going to be angry at God today. What if we all, whether you believe it or not, close this? Be like an evangelic meeting with intention. Let's yell out, we love you, God, and walk out of here on that. Okay? We love you, God. Thank you. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.